was to avoid scoring absolutely in this and score very contextually. So, yeah. so you, you generate a match and you're not saying you are better than any other person on the planet. We're just saying, based on your inputs, your sort of match is as is this number according to the other yeah. people relative score, then you can sort of get away with it. Yeah. Otherwise, if you're labeling someone to, over the top and saying you're 85 and this person's 69, whatever, Dude, that's libelous. <laughs> it really, it, I mean, it really, it really, it really is. But I'll tell you what: working with companies that have just got like some young person that's gone, I know how to fix recruitment, and um, it's really fun for me because uh, I definitely don't know everything, and uh, it, it's just really intellectually stimulating. So that's why I'm yeah. doing it. No, I appreciate it, man. It's good. It's a good. As I say, it's it's good that you you've you found different avenues to pursue, almost like the, the multifunctionally. So you're doing something at, at the, the the level to keep you stimulated, but also there's value down the track and all this type of stuff. So it's it's really really powerful position to be in. So well well done on all of that. Um. Any anyway, welcome everybody to Brain Food Live on Air. It's episode one nine five, bringing it to you every Friday. No fail. I'm back in the UK. I'm wearing a ski jacket because it's fucking freezing out there uh no it's not really um it's actually quite warm in my flat but i thought i'd just wear this jacket for a laugh um because it is actually quite cold um let's face it it's march and why is it like almost that snowing weather um but anyway um that's where we have it um welcome to the show very very excited to bring this one to you because it is the final one we're gonna do at least for this little period on recruiter use cases for chat gbt which has been like the most oversubscribed uh sort of show we've ever done um and it just tells you about the the, the sort of thirst for information that we have for this um so it's going to be very very exciting today's a slightly change of focus because um i think we've had a couple of months now to play with this and i believe the contours of controversy as i call it are starting to crystallize around the use of generative ai and what we want to do today is to look at these individual use cases that we've been using this technology for and then thinking okay what is the ethical dimension for this um and how do we think this could potentially be problematic um and what do we do uh to uh, to sort that out so that's the topic of today's show welcome everybody to it um i hope you're going to enjoy it okay before we kick off some sound checks as usual folks if you're watching this on crowdcast let me know in the chat whether you can hear me okay just give me a thumbs up a yes no maybe uh, you should be able to see me and a brilliantly colored yellow jacket um in front of you and you should also be seeing adam who is uh wearing something very nondescript um so uh, if you can see that and you can hear it just let us know in the chat we should be broadcasting this on linkedin facebook and twitter i think we failed to do it on discord so forget about that but if you're watching this on LinkedIn particularly, let me know whether you can hear me and see me okay. Um, I think we should be out there. I can't even see as ever. Like I need I need more screens to be able to see this. But um, but anyway, I think people can hear me. Madeline has said, yes, uh, uh, we can hear you okay. So thank you, Madeline. Um, okay, let's get on with the show. Um, firstly, uh, folks, we can't do Brain Food Live on Air without our sponsors. So I want to thank our sponsors every week. This week, it's one of our great friends. They've been going, they've gone massive on brain food this year. So you're going to see, hear a lot about this company. You know them all already. They were the number one ranked ATS in terms of numbers of people who uh, nominated it as their favorite ATS on a survey I did in 2021. It is Greenhouse, everybody. Uh, so thank you, Greenhouse, uh, for sponsoring the show. Greenhouse.com, 
folks. Um, they're one of the leading providers, of course, for ATS software. But more interesting than all of that, they've also done some amazing sort of research um, with uh, our friend George LaRock. Um, and they want you basically to take an interest in some of the work he's done uh, in terms of where the landscape is going to look like for 2023. So make sure you check that out as well, as well as check out sort of greenhouse.com if you're looking to upgrade your ATS. Um, okay, good stuff. Uh, welcome to Adam, of course. Adam, great to see you, mate. Um, hope things are well. Um, what have you been up to, man? Things been, things been good for you? Yeah, thanks very much for having me. It's uh, always an honor to be back every week. And uh, uh, I've been uh, working with working with some early stage uh, recruitment tech startups and working with some enterprise employers around their talent pipeline. Yeah, it's very fun. exciting. I love yeah, it. Yeah, and I've been trying to promote this as well. So basically, let's just do a quick promo. Um, on these focus groups, what kind of people are you most interested in having join these focus groups? Uh, so the, I'll tell you what, most, almost all of the focus groups that I'm running are, um, part of paid work that I'm doing for enterprise employers, mainly around specific areas of things they want to make better. And I am doing a lot of research and also helping them glean opinion from like, uh, people in other industries and stuff like that. So it's TA people normally manager up to like director level. Sometimes it's a specific focus on um recruitment marketing people that type of thing and uh, a lot of it's been around content and stuff like that recently how do we use content better to do our jobs more effectively as recruiters so the whole chat gpt thing is uh you know very exciting for me totally relevant um why don't you share i don't know whether you want to do it or how big it is but if you if you've got the application form to do it why don't you share it in the chat stream because i'm sure a lot of people who are watching this might be quite interested in participating in some of these focus groups um they just for me i mean obviously you you're getting good value in, uh, and uh intelligence from them but i think from a, T, a person who's in a TA perspective, opportunity to shoot, shoot the breeze with 10, 15 other people that are in the same boat, I think could just be super useful. Um, you know, share knowledge as opposed to, you know, just watch it like you're doing in Brim Food. So I'm more than happy for, you, uh, for a few of our folks to uh, pop over there and uh, get involved, you know? Thank you for the, um, thank you for the opportunity. So I've just put that in the chat on Crowdcast. Uh, but anybody cool, that's watching cool. this, not on Crowdcast, you'll get it on uh, adamwgordon.com and then go to focus groups. Great stuff. Okay, mate, let's uh, look at the newsletter from last week. Did you read it? And if so, what was interesting about it, mate? I did. And so the first thing was uh, I wanted to comment on the poll that you've put up for uh, this week coming. You know, how yep. much of a how much of a uplift in your salary uh would you need to go back to working on site basically i selected 200 percent, but um it's going to be fascinating to see what people say because the assumption in there is that people don't want to work on site but actually some people do so they might take a 20 percent cut i don't know i'm, I'm I made that assumption, but I did address remote workers only. So if you're a remote worker what now, um, what would it take for you to move to an on-premise five days a week job? And I, you know, force ranked it to certain things. But yeah, there was quite an interesting distribution so far. I've replicated the poll on LinkedIn. And again, very similar distribution. Basically, 
you know, everyone is like 30% at 50% more, 30% is looking at 100% more, another 30% is 200% required increase, a ridiculous increase. And then there's about 10, 15% that are saying, look, there's no number that would cause me to do that. And it, it was fascinating to read some of the commentary. Um, and I totally respect the people who, who say there's no number because I would actually categorize myself amongst that group. Um, uh, but at the same time, you just teleport back to 2019 uh, pre-COVID and you started having that conversation with yourself and saying, imagine you'd be in a position where you'd be saying no to 200% increase of your salary. <laughs> you'd be like, are you an idiot? Uh, of course, you, you take 20%, right? Everything so, has changed. Everything has changed. Yeah, totally, totally um, complete uh, 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 mindset shift. Anyway, um, right. what else interesting in the uh, in the newsletter, mate? Okay, so some research on the state of the HR tech market from a company I hadn't heard of before, but I think it's a merchant bank maybe uh, mm-hmm. called Drake Drake Star. Mm-hmm. Um, a few of the notable uh, things that I saw in there: there were thirteen hundred HR tech transactions in twenty twenty two. That's investments or mergers, acquisitions, things like that. 1,300 of them. I mean, if you go and look at the Talent Tech Labs ecosystem, there's like something like 400, something like that, companies that are actually listed on there. I mean, that just shows how much the tip of the iceberg that, you know, that is. And that itself is like a mind-boggling document. Uh, The other one was... There was $13.5 billion that is, invested in HR tech last year in 2022. I thought we had a bit of a slower year for uh, you know, investments, but uh, that's, in fact, if George LaRock's here, then he could tell us whether that was bigger or less than the year before. But it's a very, very large amount, especially when the actual value of the HR tech market is considered to be $31.5 billion. So like over a third of the value of the business was actually industry was invested into it um, last year. So it's very, very dynamic. And I believe that we're quite far behind marketing technology and fintech and medtech and others when it comes to like the amount of money that has gone into it. Venture capital was much earlier in the uptake for those other um, industries. Maybe they thought they were bigger invest- addressable markets. I'm not sure, but they we're certainly late, a bit later to the party as a you know type as an area for SaaS solutions. So mm. anyway, read that. Mm. Mind boggling. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was a great report. Again, it was an investment bank I've never heard of either before. Um, but one of the analysts sent me the deck and said, Hung, we're doing this every quarter. And I looked at the deck and I thought, you know what? It's actually quite a comprehensive view. And I, leaving aside the analytics, because sometimes you have a, a slightly different perspective as to how the, the categorization works, which is why I think there's variability in the numbers. Um, but I particularly like their, 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 their breakdown of the market mapping, which I thought was very, very strong. Um, mm. And that's something that I think we've all, no one's got a perfect solution for this. TA Tech have done something there. You know, I think George obviously has done something. Other people have like tried to design some sort of map. Very difficult to keep 
it data current. Um, but I think these guys have done a, a more than reasonable job for their, for it. So, uh, so yeah, do check that out. Just share the link into the chat stream. Apparently, they're producing this every quarter. So um, it may be something that you want to take a look in as well. Um, okay, cool. Uh, what else? Uh, oh, Sylvia, by the way, I might be going to Athens uh, in, a couple of, uh, in a couple of months, would you believe? Um, so anyway, maybe we can catch up then. Uh, go ahead, Adam. What, give us a couple oh, of things. Oh, gosh. Wow. I mean, like the impact we talk about the impact of all the changes that have happened in the world over the last couple of years and then you read um, a headline which says that the remote work is costing manhattan 12 billion dollars a year in um lost revenue presumably that's tax revenue and it's like sales tax revenue and stuff like that um the nighttime economy i noticed that you'd mentioned as as one of the things that, that that's down and when i was in new york city last year I walked probably about 20 blocks through Manhattan and I've, I've not been there many times. I've been there probably six or eight times, something like that. I've never seen the place so dead. I mean, it's not like there was nobody there, but you didn't, you didn't, you didn't have to have any problem walking down the pavement and like nobody was in your way. Uh, like they normally it's just, are. It, it's the same. You remember the superstar cities? Like again, pre-COVID, there was this idea of superstar cities that would just get ever more expensive, ever more demand for real estate, ever more mm -hmm. talent sucking in. New York, obviously, one of those. London, San Francisco, etc. All of them. All of them that are now facing this crisis, which has literally gone the other way, um, and people are moving away from these cities um to better climate and better better tax regimes there's a there's a, there's a post in linkedin a sort of um brain food coming up this sunday which is from yelp uh one of the few companies that have actually made a definitive decision to go remote only but they've also tracked the location of their staff because obviously they're paying different taxes and all the rest of it and they've tracked the migration of their staff and they have left from manhattan to go to texas and florida um well because... florida is the one i was going to mention i believe that um florida is like uh absolutely booming with people going there and the pro cost of properties was always expensive there but it's like shooting up further and that's our it, destination it, now it's a tax it's basically effectively a tax haven and it's better weather um so so if you're working remotely you're literally sitting at home somewhere why would you do that in a colder place where you're paying more tax compared to a warmer place where you're paying no tax it's like a no-brainer um, you know there must have been there must have been quite a lot of people with hindsight there must have been quite a lot of people in places like london and new york who actually were there they didn't want to be there but they were there and they had they, they felt they had to be there for their career or whatever and that that's hopefully people have got a bit less stress as a result of not having to be tied to a particular location that's that's everybody, mate. I mean, I if you look at, I use that myself as an example. London was never a, a dream. It was like a, a must. Um, it was a scenario where you thought, you know what, I'm gonna have to give up my own net, little network, my friendship group, etc. In the north, what whatnot, up your life because it was going nowhere. I had need to get in a big city in order to make make things move. So, mm. uh, so, so if if that goes away, then I think we'll see probably a lot of people stay stay home stay local and get jobs remotely from where they're at so 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 that keeps talent into those places and then we'll see a, a, a kind of the other side bigger migration to other places we've seen for instance people go to uh, to lisbon for instance or go to portugal to such an extent that the portuguese authorities have actually decided to drop their golden visa thing um because of oversubscription <laughs> too many people going 
um, there's simply a better standard of living in terms of just the climate. Um, and if all things being equal, you're going to go to a place that's simply nicer to be in. So, uh, so yeah, that's going to be interesting to track as you go forward, man. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, one, one more, mate, before one, we get yeah, on this. One more because it's a segue. Um, the So the guy who wrote the article saying that ChatGPT has already impacted on his, like, career security and career value and stuff like that. And um, the the interesting bit was the link to universal basic income. And it's becoming more of a conversation again. I read an article from a tech founder in London who said that his belief is there's vastly less jobs in the future, like as in 50 years from now, not 300 years from now, 50 years from now. And there is a lot of people choosing to be either will I work or will I be on universal basic income and it's just the accepted way a lot lot less people choose to work yep yep this is by Scott Santons by the way who yep. back in the day was one of the very he's one of the very earliest people to talk about UBI and UBI's fallen off the the, the sort of uh conversational horizon a little bit um, but since ChatGBT's come back in, I think it, it, it needs to be brought back into the the, the 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 spotlight because I think it is the reality that a lot of people are going to be uh, losing work. Um, job job destruction will happen simply because you can be much more productive. A productivity increase at one level is uh, someone's job at another. It's the same measure. Um, you know, when we talk about all oh, this farmers more productive, well, guess what? There used to be 10 farmers there, but now he's got rid of those farmers, got, got a tractor. Um, so yes, productivity increases. We can expect to see that with uh, generative AI, but there's going to be comparable job losses. That's actually one of the ethical concerns that we need to think about. And do we need to think about it? You know, is it our responsibility to do so? So anyway, Scott Santons is a guy worth following. He was actually part of the Andrew Yang campaign, I think. Uh, Andrew Yang, of course, was one of the candidates that really led with UBI before uh, failing to make it uh, a dent. But um, but I think that message is is is, is going to have to come back at some point. Um, okay, let's bring in some of our guests uh, and talk about this. We're talking about the ethics, but before we do that, we've actually got a special guest. It's Martin Redston. He's going to come in and he's going to give us an update on today i think it was today or yesterday OpenAI made made a couple of interesting announcements which have major implications for how um the technology can be used um and i wanted to get martin on to maybe give us a little bit of an update on that before we dive into the meat of the topic um so let's drop martin in um uh, he might know a little bit more about it than i um and we can just figure out okay well, what are these latest revelations um that we can uh, bring to to play there he is martin reston good to Hello. see you mate very good to see you too yeah i love uh when you guys come on air you're halfway through a conversation it's like when i phone up my dad and he kind of starts talking to me as if he's halfway through a conversation it's exactly the same so it makes me feel very much at home so thanks that's it, or when you phone up or when you phone up somebody that's too important to speak to you they answer the phone but continue the conversation <laughs> with somebody else <laughs> yeah can you hold on just in a meeting why are you answering the phone you're in a meeting <laughs> that, that's just a demonstration of power the person just has a, well has a micro ego trip to pick power up the place. phone and keep, keep the person you know waiting well once um, they're ready just put them back on hold on your end and then we're done so it's terrible uh, yeah. narcissism anyway <laughs> martin all right quickly because you've got to go but who are you yeah. what it is you do let's do a quick intro so people know who you are absolutely well i feel like i'm uh, an old hat at this gpt thing now with you guys but uh, yeah so i'm martin redstone uh thanks for inviting me on again hung um 
I am a conversational AI consultant. Um, I've been specializing in that in recruitment for the last several years. Um, I've been in recruitment for 17 years. Uh, I also run a job board focused on conversational AI called Bot Jobs. Um, that's me in a nutshell. There we go. Fantastic. And make sure you connect with Martin. If anybody's like up to date on things, it's him. I've just shared the LinkedIn in his in the chat stream. So make sure you do that. All right, Martin, you're here for a very specific purpose. Yes. And that's to give us an update on what the heck's happened with OpenAI. They've they, they released something, they've done something. So tell us all about that. Do you know it's um every week's an exciting week in this world, and that's just the nerd in me. So so not only have we had these um exciting updates from OpenAI, but um late last week, early this week. Um, Meta launched their new uh, model called Llama. Yes, it is actually called Llama, as in the animal. Um, that's um, that's actually a very highly trained model, but with a, a smaller kind of size um, that's helping people in my industry um, around the research of large language models. How can we use it to reduce some of the issues that can be talking about today, like bias and hallucinations and those kind of things. So that's exciting because that's going to help get rid of some of the, uh, the concerns that people have. Um, but yes, OpenAI, um, they launched um, overnight the night before last, um, overnight our time here in the UK anyway, uh, they announced the API for ChatGPT, which is really exciting. So let's put this into context. All those um, tech vendors out there that for the last, well, since the end of November when ChatGPT was launched, have been saying that we integrate with ChatGPT. It's finally proven what I was saying, which is it's a load of bollocks because you can't integrate into ChatGPT until now. Um, yes, I did say bollocks on uh, brain food. There we go. Um, but um, I know you were swearing earlier, so I thought I'd get away with it. Not um, safe for work. <laughs> not safe for work at all. Um, and um, and ultimately, um, th there's been a few tech companies that have already had access to this for the last few weeks. We've seen those come out, such as um, Snapchat's. Um, AI chatbots such as um, Shopify's um, on-site shopping assistant, et cetera, et cetera. So they've been playing around with this for the last several weeks um, and they've come to market now, which is great. Um, but basically what we've looked at now is ChatGPT API. It's more fine-tuned than the, um, the APIs that are available through um, GPT-3 and 3.5. Um, it's cheaper. It's ridiculously cheap. Um, it's 90% it's less expensive than GPT-3.5 APIs. It's something like, I think I wrote it down um, earlier, $0.002 per 1,000 tokens on an API. Um, but the most exciting thing is alongside that, they've also, oh, it's the most exciting, I'll tell you how much of a nerd I am. Alongside that API, they've also launched their new API for their Whisper model, which is a, uh, a speech to text uh, model as well. So what this all means is that finally, tech vendors, but not only tech vendors, but tech vendors can now implement ChatGPT in their um, product. So they can do lots of lovely things. They can also put a voice um, front end on their product as well, because they've got Again, a very, very cheap, very powerful um, speech-to-text API. Um, now, there were some messages as you, you, when you mentioned Greenhouse, um, your your sponsor earlier. Some people were asking about it in the in the chat on uh, on Crowdcast, and a lot of people were saying, "Do you know what's great about it is that there's a really powerful API in Greenhouse?" Which I agree. You know, I think that's great. Um, a great side for Greenhouse in terms of the integrations, but it also means that RecOps people, those tinkerers, those people that love working with APIs, they can now actually implement uh, and integrate ChatGPT directly into their recruitment operations if they're using a platform that has an API that they can work on such as Greenhouse. Really exciting. Now, 
onto the juicy stuff when it comes to the sub so, so, sorry i'm rambling because i've got a meeting in like seven minutes but um um i know this um session is all about ethics concerns all those kind of things one of the biggest concerns that i hear when i talk to recruiters about chat gpt is data ultimately anything you put into the web version of chat gpt is used to help train the model even further um, so ultimately anything you put in there you know in terms of data whether it's personal private or not is used um, and so and that's why they've got the thumbs up and thumbs down kind of piece on the web interface so you can tell it whether it was a, a good response or not the lovely thing about the api is that flips it on its head there is no data that is on the API that is taken to use um, as training for the model, unless you opt into it. So it's not opt out, it's opt in, which is really, really cool. And all of the data that is passed over the API, there is a 30 day deletion um, term within the API terms of use. So from a data security perspective, um, it's, it's totally and utterly on the API anyway, demolish that concern. Um, so I thought that would be a very, very interesting point. And that was lost in, it, it, it was mentioned in their announcement, but so many people are excited about the API and the costs and all those kind of things, um, that they missed this bit. And this bit I think has been one of the biggest challenges when we've talked to people about chat GPT. Yeah. So this is the idea that basically the prompts that you're putting in, they're no longer going to be used, um, as training, um, unless you opt in, um, and that over the use... API. Yeah, and that gives you a sense yeah. of control, a greater sense of control than, than before you did. So anyway, yeah. folks, check it out. It's I saw the, the blog is published a couple of days ago. People are, are talking about it. It seems like it's another significant move. So if you're interested in this topic, make sure you check it out. Um, Martin, thanks for, thanks for coming on and giving Pleasure us as always. Um, an overview. Uh, good luck with your meeting. We'll chat to you soon, okay? Thank you very much. Good to see you all, guys. Thanks a lot. Cool, cool. Um, right. Let's get on with the show. Um, folks, um, quite right, Irina. That's what we're going to do. We're going to bring you on. We're going to talk about it. Um, and by the way, Lee, I know I always ask you and you always say no, but I'm going to keep asking you until you say yes. Um, I'd love for you to come on the show. Um, so if you do want to come oh, on, just, just, just let me know. Uh, I think you've got so much to offer. Um, and uh, and but there's also no pressure because you're doing great stuff on the chat as well, mate. So uh, as you wish. Um, let's go with Mark Dubel as well. Um, oh, is that Mark Dubel? Mark D? Is not, is it? I um, don't know if it is. I mean, it could be. I can't recognize him. Um, while, while we're... Uh, um, I'm just inviting him. It could be him. Uh, while we're bringing on our guests, can I, can I just say a couple of, couple of quick things? Uh, yep. Before we bring the, the real experts in. Um, we, I, I said this to you back in December. Um, when ChatGPT or November, when when its public trial went out there, that I, I think the question was, can you imagine HSBC like allowing their 500 global recruiters just to start writing job ads with ChatGPT? No, yep. of course, absolutely not. And so, in the last 10 days, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Verizon, Amazon. People Scout and others have banned it. 
Yep. I mean, I can understand that. Um, and I think you were right, but we were right at the same time. There's no conflict because you have the corp corporation saying no, which we can totally understand. But that's not going to stop the people from doing it um, because if it's, it's faster to do, they're going to do it. Well, um, Goldman Sachs have been fining their people for using WhatsApp for communicating with customers. So any recruiter that wants to risk a fine could go and do it, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. But they're not allowed to they're not allowed to post stuff anywhere without like the, being, you know, being approved the, the truth is you can do it without without being tracked i mean it's very very there's no watermark on it um and you could easily launder it anyway if you wanted to do it this is what kids are doing in terms of submitting sort of a, a, a exam results and what have you um uh, you can just put it through another system and wash it through and you should be fine anyway let's let's say hi to our guest irena i've invited you so please come on um, but we've got Mark Dubal. Uh, let's introduce you. Mark, who are you? What is you do? Uh, my name is Mark Dubal. I'm a uh, technical recruiter at GitLab, uh, the DevOps platform. And I am a podcast host that needs to start podcasting again. <laughs> um, I'm a huge fan of technology. Well. Yeah. yeah. yeah <laughs> so I'm a huge fan of technology, actually, engineer. So I kind of look at the different side from, from things like ChatGCP. And um, I still won't call it AI. That's just I want to get it out there. It's not AI. This is this is because you're a, a zealot, Mark, uh, and uh, it's something that. Oh, I, I've just realised that Matt, you're not actually on LinkedIn, are you? So I can't even I can't even share that link with you. But Matt, why don't you introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Yeah, I don't use LinkedIn. I don't do social media anymore. Hung, you know, I'm kind of out. Um, Mark, I completely agree. It's not AI, is it? Um, we all know this. Um, hey, I, I'm Matt Burney. I am a senior strategist at uh, Indeed, uh, and I've been around the recruitment industry for more years than I care to mention. I think Adam and I agreed that we were both around about 25 years or something like that. But worrying, really. But here you go. Um, but yeah, I've had a huge interest in um, the world of what we call AI, but isn't really AI. And I've been talking about this since way before COVID. Um, but oh, I'm really excited all right. about what's going on now. Let's 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 focus on, on what we've got to talk about, which is the the ethics of this, um, because I think all of us have had a play. All of us have had an experiment and, you know, we've been astonished and appalled at e on equal measure. As you can see on the chat, you know, people are you know, very, very passionate about this topic. Um, uh, but I wanted to kind of get it to the point where, OK, we can identify some of the issues here. Um, and what is the position for HR and TA when we're handling some of this? Um, so I, let's to keep it clean. I've got a list of these problems uh, and we're just going to try and tackle them one by one. OK, um, so first problem I've got is this concept of it simply making mistakes. So it makes mistakes called AI hallucinations. Right um, now, uh, can 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 some of can one of you explain why it comes up with some self-evident errors? Um, what is the, the 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 rationale behind? Like, can you, what's the the layman's explanation as to why this happens? Um, and why do you think this might be problematic in a recruiting context? Um, uh, Mark, do you want to give this a shot? Can you explain it? Sort of why why do AI seems to hallucinate now and again? Because it's not, not AI. That's the exact reason. It doesn't. Okay, speak. we have to stop. It, it, We're not it, having an no, semantic no, conversation, no, no, guys. This, it's, it's, I know, I know, but I'm trying to explain. I'm trying to explain the issue. If um, an AI thinks, right, so it comes up with the right information, it tries to pull and it checks if the information is correct. This is pre-trained information. It's basically biased. It's written by somebody and that somebody might not be right. So it's pulling information from everywhere, 
but it doesn't have to be the right information. So it makes mistakes. I think the main thing, I think, I think I get it, Mark. Uh, the concept is simple. It's trained on information that already might contain those errors and it's not yeah. able to essentially make the assessment or comparator between it. it. It has some ability, I guess it's trying to figure out, you know, of all of the crap that's on the internet, um, almost every single statement might be contested. Um, but it might lean to what there's probably a number where it says, you know what, if 99 comments on this topic goes this way and, you know, one goes that way, we're going to go with the 99%. But it could sometimes be wrong because 99% of people could be wrong. Pre-Copernicus, everyone thought the world was flat. It will say you the world is flat. So that's basically why the hallucinations might arise. Now, thought, thought bubble, Matt. Uh, go to you on this, and Adam, come in also on this. Where do you think this might be problematic, particularly in recruitment, um, where it generates information that is false? Where do you think there's an acute issue when we're looking at the recruiting side of the, uh, the, the applying it on a recruiting side? Well, there's, there's a number of things that we can kind of talk about around this, and and I think if you look at um, some of the stuff that Lance Elliott has done, um, if you haven't read Lance Elliott's stuff, he's a Stanford fellow and a writer on AI, really, really great writer. Um, He's talked a lot about how AI is unintentionally manipulated. Uh, and there's kind of seven kind of keystone areas for that. You know, person manipulates a person, AI manipulates a person, person manipulates AI, person manipulates AI to manipulate a person, AI manipulates AI, and it kind of goes on ad nauseum from there. And it is kind of a big problem. When we think about this from a recruiting standpoint, you can actually train AI to start thinking about certain messages that you want to put into something. So if you think about writing ad copy, for example, that's a really simple thing. I've seen loads and loads of people doing in the last couple of weeks. You want to write ad copy for a job. Go to any one of the, the tools that are out there, put in your job description, pull out a, a relatively well-written job ad as far as you see it. That's great if you're a bit paying attention to what's in there, what's in there from a content point of view and how that content was arrived at. The problem that you've got is, did you put the right input in there in the first place? If it was already biased, it was already problematic, you've already created a deepening problem and you're training it to do something that gets deeper. If you go down the iterations of, you know, I've gone sort of 50 iterations deep on ChatGPT on particular things to try and get an outcome. But if the thing that I started with was wrong anyway, and I'm teaching it to be wrong even more, the outcome just gets progressively worse. The same thing kind of goes if we're going to talk about things like brand. There's lots of companies that have cropped up. I saw, um, what was it? Uh, God, sorry, I've got some notes here. Um, yeah, Typeface and Type AI. Um, they're both trying to do employer branding work at the moment. and They're talking about branding and marketing and all that kind of stuff. Well, great. But if your base point is arguably wrong or you've got the wrong information in there, then you're creating bias. You're potentially putting what you want people to see down a very particular channel. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're being unbiased in your recruitment. It doesn't mean that you're um, going out to all sections of society that could go and do a job or should be able to go and do that job. So you can create really narrow problems. The other thing that we should really factor in, and you know, we've all been there, we've all been recruiters, right? We can be a bit lazy and laziness leads to other problems. If you go, great, I can use AI to go and solve that problem. Great, it looks good. I've not really paid that much attention to it. I published the job, and there are those faults that we've already talked about. You know, there's there's lots of little little mistakes that we could make along the way to create a much wider problem. And I think that's what I'm seeing in recruitment at the moment. Is lots of people saying, 
it's a panacea, it's a quick solution. And it's not actually that. You need to spend a lot more time and a lot more effort on it to get the right kind of results, but also pay attention to the inputs that you make into it. Yeah, that's a very good summary, um, Matt. And, and I think, you know, I, th I think we can all get this. Essentially, it feels as if it will give you a, a, a kind of a productivity boost because of how quickly it might generate an output. Um, but that shouldn't disguise the fact that you need to still go through this because that output may well be coming from information that's already have baked in bias involved in there. And in fact, it might have false information, um, as we talked about the halluc hallucination part of it. So it may not be as efficient as it might initially feel because of the additional responsibility. And I guess what the ethical angle on this is we as recruiters need to take that responsibility to make sure that we don't just take the output and deploy it um, into the uh, whatever sort of function, whatever sort of front-facing uh, uh, part of the recruitment process that we put it in, job ad, uh, employer branding, copy, outreach message, whatever it is, without us taking the due care to get through it. And I think that's where there's also a problem because we know that recruiters are not going to be the best at doing that because, of course, we're time poor and, of course, you want to go fast. So, you know, we can see hopefully where the outline of a potential problem might be. Adam, you want to say something? Well, I just want to say it's classic 80-20 rule, isn't it? Like, it's not going it's not going to it's not going to get you to the perfect thing that you need. But unless unless you unless you're happy with imperfect, um, it, it, it's going to be, you're not going to use chat GPT to like create content for your career site or for your job adverts and just like post it as is you're going to do some finessing and work on that. Sorry, Matt. It's a great starting point. Right. There's, I mean, there's a, there's plenty of, I mean, there was an interesting critique from, and, and this is obviously from a fairly biased perspective in any case, a conflict of interest, so to speak, but Textio obviously came out with some criticisms of ChatGBT, comparing some of the outputs coming through um, on uh, with ChatGBT with, you know, and then pulling out and saying, look, there's, there's elements of language bias here, which may be difficult to uh, to figure out and so on. So interesting um, sort of challenges going forward on, on that side. Uh, by the way, we'll be talking about the impact of um, generative AI on EDI specifically, I think, next week. So we're going to have a kind of another show on this, particularly on DE&I. Um, okay, let's keep going with um, some other interesting and challenging ethical issues. Uh, one of the things that was obviously the case is this reduction of, um, or should we say, the greater accessibility to dangerous knowledge. Um, so there's information out there that is, I think we can all agree, fairly harmful, um, where there are current restrictions. Um, you know, if I was to search for how to make some sort of terrible weapon, um, onto Google or something, I will either be presented with blocked domains or whatever. I would not be able to find those places and or I would be tracked by some secret service uh, that will say, oh, this person's making this type of uh, this type of search. Let's make sure who, uh, who the uh, heck this person is. Now, okay, we can kind of agree that this type of thing may be a, an important part of national security because yes, there's probably a reason why we don't want to distribute certain types of knowledge. Now, ChatGBT might kind of create a situation where that knowledge becomes much more accessible than it would be through traditional search. Um, and we can kind of pull it away from the abstract and drop it into more recruitment specific stuff. When you think about things like 
you know, the, the, the kind of white hat, black hat, gray hat type of hacking type of activity, is it possible for me to then generate some techniques that literally are bordering on the edges of legality or morality in terms of how to find candidates? Um, uh, you know, so, so, the, so it's reduced the friction to accessing information, which surely would increase the fraud risk and potential misbehavior. What are your thoughts on this? Um, Adam, you, let's go to you first. Any any thoughts on this? Is it a legitimate concern? Yes. And look, I, I would split like our, I, I've said this a lot, a lot recently, but the types of people who tune in for Brain Food Live and read the newsletter and stuff like that, it's a certain type of recruiter. And it's probably like 2% of the total population of people that work in recruitment. So I would split it up into three different types of people. There's the types of people who um, follow this channel and, you know, uh, learn all about the, the latest sort of early things that they should be adopting. And they are the people who may work out ways of absolutely hacking systems. And um, so, yeah, possibly that may, that might be, might be 5% of people in our world. And then there's about another 25% of people who are in enterprise companies and can't do anything. So that's a total of 30. And then there's 70% of people who don't know anything about this. So I think that there is a risk in it, but it's not from like a widespread hundreds of thousands of recruiters are going to be starting to do dangerous things with it. Um, it's, a, it's, a small, it's a small group. And they're probably all your friends, huh? So they're not my friends. I have no friends, um, and that's a security policy. Uh, no, uh, very seriously. Um, the but but I agree. I mean, we're talking about a niche. The vast majority of recruiters are not touching this. I get it. Um, but I think there is an increase of we're going to have to get used to the fact that you know we can't just rely on information being difficult to access because here you have something that maybe just be generating it. And I I guess look. OpenAI is one company. We can understand that they'll put guardrails in there and all that type of stuff, but there'll be another business that does something similar that will have less guardrails. Uh, we've already seen some politics in there. You know, people are dissatisfied with OpenAI. Elon Musk is saying, you know what, I'm going to build a, a based uh, <laughs> sort of AI, the anti-woke version. Okay, great. Uh, if you do that, then suddenly you're gonna people are going to end up using it because they're thinking, you know what, this is giving me information without the guardrails, which is seemingly what I want. That's part of the reason why everyone's been jailbreaking GBT because they wanted to see how far it can go. So we as human beings seem to have the instinct towards reaching for information irrespective of whether it's dangerous or not. Um, and, and that leads me to think, you know what, we could be doing quite a few hacky things with the information that ChatGBT give us, which is already pretty great area with regards to sourcing, data privacy, you know, all this kind of this kind of stuff. So I think it's one of those like ambient dangers. You're right, it's probably not acute right now, but it seems that the overall level of our ability to do bad things will increase as a result of the existence of this technology. Um, anyway, very, very interesting. We've got to keep cracking on, folks, because time is pressing. Irina, I'm trying to get you on, girl. <laughs> but once again, we have technical problems getting Irina on. And Tony, I know you're busy, but I want to try and drop you into the show you know, for about five minutes in any case. Yes, I have invited you, and you basically have accepted um but uh apparently connecting i'm gonna remove you irene and then get you back in okay uh let's try this um can i say a quick thing about the dangerous knowledge thing of course uh, Mark, please go don't ahead. forget please don't forget that this pre-trained data right so it doesn't actually have access to the data that you don't want it to see and that's something that people tend to forget so 
outside of recruitment, the recruitment hacking stuff probably is in there, but how to make a bomb is probably not in there because it's pre-trained. Somebody decides which data goes in. So you can actually limit the data. It's even more dangerous. You can actually say, I don't want people to see this or read this. It's the other way around. I think that's true, but it's also the case that you have so many competitive products that I think it's going to very easily, it's going to get to a point where you just can't rely on a single product saying, you know, this is how it is. But anyway, let's get to Irina. Irina, great to see you back. Your hair looks amazing, by the way. Um, Irina, can you quickly... <laughs> Irina knows why I said that. Um, and uh, and uh, Irina, people know who you are, but can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Okay, so I uh, source half of the time. I usually do pure sourcing projects, have clients all over all industries. And I teach half of the time. Uh, next week, I'm starting the most advanced course ever, six-day uh, training that covers like everything you can imagine all up to date. I have a couple places left. And then uh, another 100% of the time, I'm now drawing with me journey, which I love. That's, that's it. Fantastic stuff. Um, and Irina, let's, I know you've been watching sort of the conversation so far. Let's bring you straight into this. Where, how have you, which, which sort of um, uh, ethical problems with generative AI have been most prominent in your mind right. in your exploration with it? So uh, AI spits out what it has mostly, right? And take a look at the couple links here I posted. This is AI. Uh, this is a prompt to an AI drawing program. The first is managers, the second is nurses, surgeons, and software engineers. Look at that, and that's the picture of the bias. Okay. Wow. Do you want to yeah. share screen, Irina? If you got it up there, it might be useful for us to everyone see this. But just take a look at the. I, I mean, I've pasted two links. You should yeah. see that. Look, the man All managers right. are managers are fifty-year-old, look pretty much white men. Oh, there's a, there's a there's a couple of different ethnicities in there, but it's nearly all fifty-something-year-old yeah. white men. Yeah. So, so go ahead, when it hallucinates, it also may hallucinate towards biases and it's extremely important to know that it can hallucinate regarding those ethical issues. That's one point. My other point is that ChatGPT is not easy to use or big. They have these qualities. They're both very stubborn. You ask it for something, it gives you something it knows about and, and hopes it will fly with you. They're stubborn Partially because I think they're saving money because it doesn't take much to just throw up something versus going and investigating. If you ask Bing, I gave Bing a job link to a job description and link to a profile and ask if, if they match. What it does, it reads the first paragraph of each and then starts hallucinating. Uh, Susie Tunini found out from uh, ChatGPT that I died in September 21, and the community was mourning, right? So uh, check your output, okay? That's really interesting um, information. Again, it's kind of what I mean by dangerous information. I mean, I use the concept of a bomb as an exaggerated example. Uh, I do know that, for instance, that, you know, you're not going to get an output from that on ChatGPT. But 
it's stuff like as you mentioned very false data like Irina you know had passed away or something um then that itself is potentially dangerous because people might make decisions on that or they'll go through emotional sort of circumstances whatnot um on information that isn't correct um so go ahead I'm yeah yeah look, look I I absolutely appreciate everything that Irina just said there but who who in their right mind is using this as an alternative to a search engine to try and Plenty find the information who's doing Plenty that? people Plenty. No, they're, they're not sure they are if you look at it's not ready for that. Nobody thinks it's ready for that. some Nobody people say some people say it lies so no we're not using it some people say oh it shows everything it it's so um have you obtained good output from chat gpt other than a byron's poem about something odd yes really? lots of content loads of content you can you can write i could write yeah, marketing content have. for a hundred companies in one day using chat gpt right. i would never use it to find out if Irina's still alive or what's the pantone for that's big, particular... that would be big because Bing is up to date yeah. um, all right guys let, really let's, let's 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 not get too distracted on all of this um because i think you're right how people use it is going to be very different um and uh, and and everyone's going to argue on on their own particular use case but i think we can start seeing some some of these areas that are a particular concern we're going to get through all of them in a bit as usual with these shows it's going to go a little bit longer than an hour um but as we do and every time we do sort of a brain food live we want to make sure the conversation continues even though we have to go come off air at some point so let's take this time this moment uh, simply to connect with everyone else who's actually interested in this conversation so take a moment take your linkedin url and share it in the chat stream and chat uh, on on crowdcast um if you're watching this on linkedin or anywhere else where there's a comment thread share your linkedin url in that comment thread and then connect with everyone else who's done the same um that way at the very least you're going to walk away with 20 30 40 50 people um that are interested in this topic and want to explore it and then you can continue to have that conversation um, after we come off air. So go ahead and do that, folks, um, and make sure that uh, that you're in there. Well done, Michael. You are indeed quickest. Hi. Um, if I go may. ahead, Irina. Yes, of uh, course. We opened up a group, uh, Chat GPT in recruitment on Facebook, that I've never seen such growth. It's over 1,000 people now. The problem that I see with the group is people just are spitting links out there. We're not, we can find links elsewhere, okay? We need discussion. I really would like people to join and start posting, you know, questions that would, uh, you know, get feedback, comments, because otherwise the group is useless. I, I think you you, uh, you you are right in one respect, um, Irina, and I share your frustrations, but I, I don't uh, wouldn't go as far as saying it's useless in that respect, simply because it's quite difficult to have a, a discursive group when it reaches that size of size so quickly. It's gone to zero yeah, to five thousand yeah. people in about less than but two months. Spammers yeah and basically people are shy they need to get to know each other before they're able to talk in a more discursive way but i think that will come maybe there's a way and in fact i think facebook's created new ways to do effectively channels haven't they um so maybe the future evolution of that is to create a channel where to say hey this is about link share knowledge share another place is do more sort of discussions which are connected to what we're doing here which is having more ethical uh chats about things um 
Okay, let's move on in terms of other ethical issues. What about sort of the court cases that are currently challenging generative AI right now? Um, uh, we've seen sort of coders, for instance, um, uh, I think ongoing, it's a, it's a court case against uh, GitHub in terms of them using their code to produce co-pilot. Um, uh, we've seen artists um, sue uh, Dali. We've seen Getty Images uh, say oh, okay. uh, to, to Midjourney, you can't use this because it's from our stuff. Um, and of course, all of us who have contributed to creating stuff on the internet um, that has now been pre-trained into OpenAI and produced a commercial product. So where are we with this? Um, like who owns the pre-trained data? Does anyone have any strong opinions on it, number one? And number two, does anybody have a feeling as to where the judicial decisions are going to be? Um, thoughts on this? Let's go to you, Mark. Um, any, any, any thoughts on this? It's a challenging one because it comes back to the company that builds a product. They have to somehow prove where they got their information from, and that's a test they can't do. So it's always going to be a really big challenge in, okay, I'm going to sue ChatGPT, but I can't prove anything because you don't know what's in that model. So they need to open up the model for people to actually be able to uh, to prove that it's their data. So I think the courts are going that direction that if you want to sue them, they have to open up the model for you. They have to show you where did we get our data. And if they don't do that, it's going to be really hard case in court. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I think the key one probably is going to be GitHub. It's the cleanest one where you can say it's self-enclosed and basically, um, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're producing solute. And it's, by the way, it's been amazing productivity-wise. Apparently, so already 50% of code on GitHub is actually by Copilot. Um, so you think about how fast that's that's changed things. Absolutely incredible. Um, and yet we have developers saying, yo, you know, this is my repo. You know, I, I've not been consulted by it. I didn't consent and I'm not also compensated. So there's like, you know, what's going on? So people have got a legitimate, the creators have got a legitimate case um, uh, to make. I think a very powerful one. We just don't know where it's going to go. Um, and I guess there's another element to this whereby even we can recognize that the creators have a case. Um, we also can recognize that the overall value to the rest of the community is such it might actually override their rights. Um, so for instance, I compare it a little bit like Prometheus, you know, let's say I invented fire, um, you know, by rights, anybody who lights a match needs to pay me something, but is that, is that fair? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? No, everyone needs to understand fire and cook food and get better, get better, evolve. That's a good thing. So I think we're at that level of, oh my God, we may well have conflicting rights that you can see both sides are right, uh, but one has to give rather than the other. So where do we think it's going to go? Adam, you got any thoughts on this? Do you think we're going to rule on the side of the creators or we're going to say we're going to rule on the side of the uh, uh, the uh, generative AI folks? It, it's the extremely interesting part of this is, and I can't remember if I said this last week, but open AI in going live with ChatGPT kind of like just opened up the box and Google have had to fast track their version and so have Microsoft and so have... Um, uh, meta and uh, none of them wanted to put that into the market at this point but open ai's purpose is making ai accessible and useful to as many people as possible i don't believe that's the purpose for any of those corporate organizations i mentioned as their competitors 
So I think that that is going to have um, a very important part to play in uh, the answer to your question, but I don't know what the answer to your question is. Yeah. It, 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 it's also analogous to original search engine. Um, uh, you know, when the search engines first emerged and they started yeah. pulling Worldwide together web. yeah, and aggregating things, you could legitimately say, hey, I did give you no permission for that. Uh, but then they, basically everyone agreed it was okay because you got more traffic and uh, it's fine. Um, uh, so we, but we had some more of that. What, we, what we're not getting with, create, with creators is that they're not getting any positive stuff back. They just simply have effectively donated their knowledge um and now someone else is monetizing that and we can all obviously see the injustice of that um so um, just quickly add to that by the way in terms of like who are going to be the winners in this there's two different types of winners that they're going to be there's going to be there's a very very small number of organizations that has these um i can't remember what it's called like vast language models or whatever it is it's it's like four or five organizations that's it the other winners are going to be the people that can contextualize this and create user interfaces that are going to be of value to uh, for different use cases, for different uh, you know niche use cases, and that's already happening. And a lot of them will fail, but some of them will really succeed in this. Mm, yeah, very very interesting. Um, okay, um, let's keep going with dodgy stuff. What about the death of the web, folks? Um, we love the World Wide Web, don't we? Um, sourcing is all about sourcing information that's on the World Wide Web. Yes, we know about dark web, etc., but vast majority of candidate data that we source is actually publicly available somewhere. Um, and we found the, 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 the ability to retrieve this information in some way. I read a really interesting post that one of the effects of ChatGBT is that it might actually stop further investigation to the web because by and large it might give the person enough information right at the beginning so that they don't go further um so if you imagine how the journey of a search person goes via google is that you type something in a paginated experience comes up with a load of blue links you then click on those links and you try and find something information but that's traffic to those sites that those sites are then able to say to advertisers, yeah, yeah, pay me some advertising money. That's great. Keeps them going. Keeps the server cost uh, going and so on. That doesn't happen with ChatGBT. Um, I, I've got an input box. It pre it's pre-trained, generated information. I get the information. By and large, I'm all right with that. I'm off. I never touch the web, in which case I don't give it traffic. Therefore, it, ham it harms sort of the, uh, the advertising revenue. And at some point, those servers will go down because, hey, listen, I can't afford to keep the lights on. So is it the case where the pre-trained information is ultimately going to strangle the the, the, the web from which it was born? Irina, I can see you want to say something and, and, and yes. criticize what I, I mean, say. Uh, go Chad, ahead. Chad GPT, OpenAI, uh, compete with search engines like Google in one area. Give the, the answer. Googling means finding the answer using Google, right? That's where they compete. Now, if we're talking candidate sourcing, advanced X-ray, ChatGPT is nowhere there, not even near, not in years. Uh, but yes, where ChatGPT answers that question without sending people to links, deprives sites of traffic, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's interesting though. I, I I appreciate Irina's perspective on that, and lots of other people, by the way. Irina's not um not not on her own with this, but I just don't see it, certainly not at this point, and possibly ever, as being an alternative to a search engine. 
No. I, there's, there's an interesting thing in this, right? So if you think about what Google have consistently said, the fact that you get, you know, say you search for, I don't know, restaurants and you'll get a billion search results for restaurants. That's not a feature. That's a bug. They've always said you should get one result. There shouldn't be multiple answers to your question. There should be one answer to your question. And Google has always said that's what they want to achieve there. If you look at the logical conclusion of if you're going to change this into a different methodology of search, you're going to get a different set of results. Ultimately, and ChatGPT isn't connected to the web. We, we all know that, right? Bing is, but if you're going to have a conversation with something and you're going to get an answer for it, arguably, that is going to turn around and say, hey, look, here's the one answer for you. And that is the goal that Google have always wanted to have. If Bing can kind of get there a bit quicker by using a conversational model, that's actually what search engines kind of want. Um, yeah. There's kind of nothing wrong with that if that's the business model. We're very used to being able to see everything. And I think personally, I think that's a good thing. I think it's great that you can go out there and explore a million rabbit holes on, on the web. But that's not what search engines were originally conceived as. They were an answer engine. So if we can ask that question and we can do it in a much more conversational way and it doesn't feel as kind of black and white binary as Google would perhaps have liked originally it to have been, then we're probably moving towards what the original design model was. That's very interesting, Matt, and I totally agree with you on this. And we, uh, to build on this, I think one of the things we can say then is that the ad model, as 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 has existed and has been a multi-billion-dollar business and has supported so many of the products we currently use, uh, love or not, um, may have all been built on the inefficient output of search. Um, because if search was efficient in the first place, we would have never have been dropped. We would, there'd be no such thing as the internet black hole. Um, because it just gives us the answer. Boom, we're, we're there. The information's gone. We go and do whatever we need to do. But the, the 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 internet black hole existed because we basically oh clicked on that link. Kind of sort of thought it might be useful. No, it's actually totally different. It's interesting. We ended up going somewhere else. Now that experience might come to an end if the search gets more accurate. And it's just, it's fascinating to speculate how that would work and how that sort of what the implications of that because the end of the ad support internet in my opinion is 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 is, is uh, an ethical challenge on another side which we should talk about is how it's all going to be paid for um and it looks it's very interesting that chat gbt for instance didn't ever think about ads um they went straight to subscriptions um and it was like okay great this is what we've been agitating for because we hate the ad world you know we hate data data tracking we hate people following us around etc we agitated uh, uh to protect ourselves against that but we didn't think about what that meant and what it meant was that we'd have to pay for everything um and that's all well and good for people who've got money to pay for it um but there's a bunch of people out there in the world that can't don't have the money to pay for it twenty dollars for me living in the in in the privileged world is something i'm probably going to be able to pay um but 20 dollars for someone in the philippines different fucking story um or even within the uk or in the us 20 dollars for a lot of people in there is not a feasible amount of money to spend on something like this uh which basically means the perp the people who are going to be more productive uh you know ex excelling productivity are going to be the people who ha already have material resources so entrenches elitism um so how do how, how do we deal with this issue any thoughts so surely that it, we just moved to like an outcome-based model right um because as martin's just said in the chat and i was just going to say exactly the same thing if it's free for us to use with a product right so if we've got 
a starting point and our starting point is i don't know looking for a job and the outcome is that we get connected with that perfect job and we get through that process and it's all handled by an ai process great that's a great outcome for you you've got yourself a job you've got yourself the employers managed to get rid of all those messy processes in between the, the payment comes at the outcome and you as the user are the product in there it's not an advertising model it's a different model it's turning the whole thing on on its head but i think that's the obvious thing that we can do in the very short term is that's the sort of model that i think companies would move towards more readily what are your thoughts on this folks how is it all going to be paid for does anybody have any thoughts on this that's okay it's okay. I mean, because the truth is none of this is by design. It will all emerge through people just trying to throw sort of revenue models at it. And whatever happens is always going to be suboptimal for a big percentage of the population. It's part of the reason why, uh, you know, Web3 has disappeared a little bit from the cultural firmament. But the part of the reason why it generated a lot of enthusiasm was because it was trying to find a third way between ads and subscriptions. Uh, it was trying to find a different way to compensation, compensate people back for their positive activity to the community um, it would automatically be tracked and automatically be uh, uh, be rewarded to that person rather than having to rely on a free internet that you, you know, get blasted by ads or rely on a subscription-based world where you know people already that have the money are going to have a competitive advantage that you know poor people may never get to um so so yeah it's it's a fascinating sort of uh, conundrum go ahead Matt. again so i'm just going to quickly say again again back to the difference between open ai versus google so open ai operates on it was a not-for-profit it's now called a either capped profit or fixed profit model which means it's got to make a certain amount of money for a particular reason um but it doesn't have the same driver around making money um it's going to be upgraded UI, things like that, presumably. Matt, sorry. I was just going to say, actually, that on a slightly different but the same tack to an extent, there was a lot of conversation a little while ago about privacy and privacy becoming luxury. And, you know, if you look at, if you know any incredibly wealthy people you and you look at their mobile phones, they're not like our mobile phones. Um, very, very wealthy people don't carry iPhones. They carry virtue phones and all sorts of stuff. Um, and they exist on private cell phone networks and will use closed versions of different versions of the internet to an extent. W what point does that just turn around and we say, okay, we'll use our own AI model to go and exist in our own private ecosystem. I can exist over here. I don't have to use the same web as you. I don't have to use the same interface as you. I don't have to talk to the same people as you. I don't have to have the same AI generated opinions as you there is an opportunity there and it's potentially a bad actor opportunity as far as i see it for companies to say hey look we can silo you over here for you know 500 bucks a month you get to go and have everything but for 10 bucks a month you can kind of have the basic version if you want your little ai assistant you can have the one that costs three bucks a month but that really doesn't do that much and there's a kind of danger if we think about this from the kind of long long tail ethics problem here of actually siloing different parts of society as to your point not everyone can afford it right so does this mean that you get rid of the wider internet nobody gets free internet anymore you all have to have your ai assistant how good that is and how much access it has is based on how much you're willing to pay um i mean that's quite a bleak future i'll give you but um you know just something that was running through my head no i mean the bleakness is it reminds me of when books were expensive you know 
um, when books were super expensive, it was only owned by the very, very rich. Uh, and of course, that gave people the opportunity to, you know, increase their control over everyone else. And it could well be that that's that's what the near term future of generative AI may be. Um, that there's there's, there's going to be like maybe ten percent of the world that will be able to access and use this technology and accelerate. Um, but there's going to be a very very big chunk of the world that simply can't afford it. Um, and that for me would is going to lead to. Uh, and an, uh, kind of an Eloy versus Morlocks kind of world, which is the the, the sort of uh, uh, the, the the kind of the early forecast of uh, of dystopia. Um, okay, guys, we're going to come to the end of the show because obviously time is pressing. Tony's not being able to join us today, so it's a real real shame. But hopefully, we can get him back and talk uh, a little bit more on on this topic. Let's let end it with a few final things. I mean, it, I, I just want to ask you a simple question, folks. Um, is generative AI a net good or a net bad thing in your in the grand scheme of things? If you get out of all the pluses and minuses, what you say, Irina, you got two thumbs up. So that's a yes for you, Matt Bernie. What's your thoughts? Net good or net bad? Oh, uh, good. I think maybe. Yep. <laughs> Fair enough, Mark. How about you? Net good or net net bad? Good. It's not replacing jobs. It's it's a great tool. Simple as that. Good stuff. How about you, Adam? What's your thoughts? Good, although I think it's definitely replacing jobs, but that doesn't necessarily that doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be a net decrease in jobs. I think we're just doing different jobs. True. And if I think about the, I've said this a lot for a long time. If we think about you know, the the number of recruiters that we will have in ten years, it's probably going to be less. But we'll have as many people in the industry because there will be loads of people who are robot managers and they're AI trainers and they're design experience people and stuff like that. So um, I think good. Yeah, that's good to know. And, and I'm obviously an evangelist, even though I go forward with the view that I think it's dangerous. Um, so it's one of those things. And but the same thing as fire was dangerous, right? When Prometheus went down and gave humanity fire, that was dangerous because uh, people get burned. Um, but obviously, we would, none of us would give that up today uh, in terms of uh, what we have. So um, I would say, everybody, embrace the new world, get involved in it, at very least, get yourself to a level of decent competency, even if you then decide that you don't want to get anywhere involved with it, do so from a position of expertise um, and not through ignorance um, and, and see what you can do with it. Um, okay, folks, that's it. Uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Irina, great to see you. Matt Bernie, great to see you. Uh, Mark Dubel, great to see you also. Uh, Tony, I know you couldn't make it today, but thanks for uh, doing what you can to get us there. Uh, folks, uh, that's it. Uh, thank you very much, everybody. I think Adam is somehow online, but he isn't. Um, so maybe he's, he's away. Um, but thanks everyone for joining. Um, we'll be back next week. Um, as ever, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, specifically the impacts of generative AI on uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion. So this is a, a kind of a, a deeper subset dive into how we think about these technologies as pertains uh, to an equitable future. Um, I remember a friend of mine saying actually that, oh, isn't ChatGBT just like accelerated mansplaining? Uh, and it was like, yeah, maybe it is. Well, okay, who's building this technology? What are they all about? What are their politics? What do they care about? How does it kind of match with uh, the uh, HR and TA responsibility to try and create a more equitable and diverse workforce? So that is what we're talking about next week. Make sure you sign up and join us for that. Follow the channel if you enjoy this conversation. Um, and we'll see you next week, folks. Thank you for watching.